Hey, it's Jen Garrett here, and welcome to the Move the Ball podcast. I've helped thousands of people to develop their own personal game plan to achieve that next level of greatness. Now, I'm on a mission to help you utilize the same tools and strategies of professional athletes, Fortune 500 executives, and successful entrepreneurs to elevate your hustle and get you across your goal line. So get ready. It's your time to move the ball. Hey, everyone. Jen Garrett here. It's great to be back with you for another episode of Move the Ball. If this is your first time listening, welcome. And if you've been a part of the Move the Ball movement for quite some time, I'm glad that you're here with us today. So lace up those cleats, tighten up that chin strap, because I've got a special guest for you today, one that you SEC fans will especially enjoy. So inside the huddle with us today and ready to help us to move the ball is Mr. Mickey Joseph. Mickey is an American football coach and former University of Nebraska quarterback who is currently the assistant head coach and wide receivers coach at Louisiana State University. And for those of you who do follow, follow college football, you know that LSU won the 2020 College Football Playoff National Championship, which we'll also talk about during the show. Mickey has had over 20 years of college coaching experience with a number of programs, and I won't name them all here, but including Louisiana Tech, Grambling State, and having the assistant coach and head coaching jobs at Langston University. Mickey, welcome to the show. Thank you. How y'all doing today? Well, I'm so excited that you're here with us. I know you're very busy, and so I appreciate you making time to join us for today's conversation. And where I'd like to kick off our chat is talking more about football and the lessons that it teaches us to be successful beyond the game. In my Move the Ball book, I talk about quite a number of different principles where I'm drawing these parallels between football and life. And I'd like to take a few minutes here to find out from you, as you were a young man playing football and quarterback at Nebraska, what were some of those lessons that you learned from the game that you think have really helped you to be successful both on and off the field? Well, I think the first thing that you learn, you know, just just playing at participating in athletics is um, communication and discipline, you know, that you got to be able to communicate. You know, if you're a player, if you're a coach, you got to be able to communicate. And same thing as far as discipline, you got to be able to have the discipline to be successful because it's, it's a lot of things that's entailed for you being a good football player and a good coach. So a really good communicator as a player and, and as a coach and also have the discipline. And that means if you if you say you're going to do something, follow up and do it. Right. And what was it about football that really excited you at, at a young age? Well, you know what? Growing up on uh, outskirts of Marrero in a, a tough environment, a lot of crime in that area. You know, I think that football was a way that my mom and dad knew where me and my brothers was, was at at all time. You know, from the time um, playground ball. So they knew at four o'clock to seven o'clock. It wasn't on the streets. We was at a playground. And when we went to high school, they knew from seven o'clock in the morning to seven at night that we was at the school. So they knew we were safe and they knew we wasn't running the streets. So that's why, you know, we had to play multiple sports. Though we had to play football, you know, um, my other brothers played basketball. I ran track, we played baseball. You know, we did a number of things just because it was such a tough area to grow up in. And we had some of the wonderful people that grew up in these neighborhoods. But it's just one small apple can spoil a whole bunch. That's one reason to play football. Gotcha. And now you were a Louisiana high school football legend. What in your mind really helped contribute to your success in the game of football and also in other sports? Well, I think it was the first of the support that I had from my parents that, you know, they really supported me. They were truthful. If you didn't do your schoolwork, you wasn't going to play. Play bad. My dad let you know you played bad no matter what nobody said you. 
in here at LSU, we have things say block off the noise. So when you're an athlete, you got to really block off the noise. You got, you can't listen to the people that's telling you, you know, oh, you do this right, you do that. You know, they're fans. Sure. And let's talk about blocking out the noise, whether you're an athlete or not. And it's not just about maybe people criticizing or critiquing or commenting, but it's the noise that's going on in the world too, and the negativity and the distractions, right? And so when you are coaching your guys and they're trying to get caught up in that noise, what are some things that you tell them or some tips that you can share here with people to help kind of tune out all that noise and stay focused and locked in on what it is you need to do? Well, I tell my kids this, you got to be respectful and you got to watch the social media. I, I didn't have social media when I was getting ready to go to college. So these kids are in a, a different situation with the social media. And you got to watch who you reach out to. You got to watch who you get social media battles with. And you can't listen to everything what social media is saying. And you can't listen to everything the fans are saying. Because, you know, I've talked about all the time, the same fans that's clapping and cheering you, it's the same fans that's booing you and saying, sit you on the bench when you don't play good. It's just a reward. You know, with fans, it's just, they're just looking for rewards. So you got to block out all that, some, some negative stuff. And also you got to block out if you're playing really well. Start reading your press clippings where, you know, that, okay, I don't have to work as hard. So you, like we always say, you got to block out the noise. You got to just stay focused. And that's, I try to tell my players, just, you mean, stay focused on the task at hand. And it's no finish line until the end of the season. And right when the season ends and it picks up again, it's a race again. So it's staying focused along the line. And, and blocking out all the negative stuff. And you also want to block out the people that say, boy, you're good. You know, you, you need to do this. You need to do that. So we tell them block out the noise. Yeah, I think that that's very important. Um, and something you mentioned, you know, staying focused. I think in today's world where there's so many distractions and competing interests, being able to stay focused is really a competitive advantage for folks, for athletes, as well as just leaders in business and, and people as they navigate through their career. You have to stay focused and block out all the externals and the noise. So talk to us about your transition from being a player to being a coach. It's a very different, as you know, we were talking about, it's very different to go from being an athlete to being the coach. What was that like for you? It was hard when I was a player and, and you know, God bless me with talent. And so I was a dominant player, you know, and so I, I when it came down to football, I learned real fast, you know, I, I got it, you know, and you tell me one time and I got it because it was football. I was focused on it, you know, and the thing about it is like, it came to me easy, but, but when it was time to coach, you got to sometimes put yourself in your kid's shoes. Sometimes you got to say, how's he learn? Maybe he don't learn a certain way, you know, and you, you got to do all of that. And you got to say, oh, maybe he's not getting, as a coach, you can't be the only person in the room that's getting what we're putting in, installing. You got to make sure that the kids get it. You know, when you as a player, you're responsible for you learning. Now, when you're a coach, you got to be responsible for all 16 other receivers learning. Some kids are visual learners, got to write it down and study it. And some of them, you know, you show them one time and they get it. So you got to learn how to also how to manage different personalities. And when you're a player, you just manage your personality. But when you're a coach, you're managing different personalities, managing kids that's introverts, you know, extroverts, you know, kids that stuck on themselves and some kids with low self-esteem, but you got to manage them. Yeah, you bring up a really great point because as a coach and as leaders beyond the game. It is about managing different personalities who are on the team. Not everybody is the same. Not everybody learns the same or communicates in the same way or handles change or differences in the same manner. So you have to really be able to adapt your style so that you can communicate effectively with each an individual. Great leaders in life, great players and great coaches in the game. They're always focused on that continual improvement. And that's something that I reference in my book through an acronym called Mad Pride, which I say are eight elements that really separate the elite from the rest. 
When you look at some of the things that you have focused on improving over the years with your coaching career, what were some of those things that you focused on to be a better leader and a better coach? Well, my thing is, first of all, being a good person, having strong faith, you know, in God, that God leads you with everything that you do and, and treat every player like he's my own son. That's one thing that I, I do. And, and another thing I do is just communicating. Make sure I'm communicating with the parents, you know, make sure I'm communicating with the kids, make sure I'm communicating with their professors, involving myself in their life. And it's hard because some of them are real territorial. You know, they don't want you involved like that. But I have a personality that, you know, usually they, they ease up to me and, and they allow me to help them do some things, you know, and, and it's, you know, you got kids that, you know, having kids. You know, so you're teaching them how to be how to be fathers, especially if they didn't have a father who, who was in their house. You're teaching them, you know, how to be a good father and what they need to do and how they need to do things and how they need to communicate as a father. So it, it's not just coaching. It's, it's always comes down about life. Gotcha. And you're absolutely right that being a coach is not just about preparation for a game or on game day performance. It's about life and making sure that you're setting up these young men for success on the field, but also beyond the game as well. And there there are so many parallels between football and business and life. Uh And there are times when we fumble the ball off the field and we have to pick that ball back up and keep moving forward. Can you share with us a time in your life where you might've fumbled the ball and how did you recover from that? Just in college, you know, I remember I was injured at a bowl game. I I missed curfew and coach wanted to send me home. I felt really bad because I was injured. I wasn't playing. But I still had to obey the rules that he put in. And I felt bad because I didn't. I had to bounce back. So what, what I what I made myself do from there on out that I always was going to be, curfew was at 10.30, I was going to be in at 10 o'clock. I was going to be at 10, 10 p.m., 30 minutes before curfew. And I was going to make sure that I stayed because that particular moment, I, I was there for curfew, but I left <laughs> right after he checked. So I made sure that I didn't do that again. And, and that was a butt chewing for my dad and my mom because they didn't raise me that way to be disobedient. That's one reason I'm a stickler on my kids about when I say, hey, curfew is this that you're in, you know, and that's, and I bounced back from the big, but I had to reprogram myself. I had to say that was wrong and I'm never going to do it again. And it's okay to make mistakes, right? And to fumble. It's really about what you learn from it and how you pick yourself back up and recover because none of us are perfect. So there are times when we do drop that ball. Exactly. So as an athlete or as a coach, I mean, you've come across a a number of different fantastic coaches in your career. Was there anyone that's given you a really great piece of advice that you've, that's always kind of just stuck with you and that's really helped you to be successful in your career? Well, yeah, you know, it it was a guy uh, that I coached with at Nickel State when I was a quarterback coach and his name is J.R. Richards. And he, and he told me, you know, one thing about being a good assistant is things you don't believe in that you still make it work. That's the sign of a good assistant coach. And I live by that. Even if I don't agree with the, the coordinator says, when we walk out the room, we all on one plan, but I make it work for him. You know, same thing with Coach O. You know, he's got some things that he wants me to do, and I don't disagree with him. Whatever he asks me to do, I do. As an assistant head coach, I do. You know, and, and, and I make it work. And I think that's being part of a, a good assistant. It's like, hey, things you really don't think can work, but you make it work anyway because that's your job you have a set of plays or you have things that may or may not work, but you got to find a way. And, and something that, that I've always appreciated from people that are high performers is you talk about putting them in any situation and they'll be able to find a way to make it work. Even if it doesn't seem like it could work, they will find a way. So let's, let's take a few minutes and talk about LSU during the, the 2019 season and also winning the national championship. 
that season the team went uh, 15-0, 8-0 in the SEC, beat Georgia in the SEC championship game, beats Oklahoma in the Peach Bowl, then goes on to beat Clemson in the championship. Talking just going into that season, uh, LSU was ranked six, I believe, by the preseason AP poll and was projected to finish second in the SEC West behind Alabama, which it obviously did not finish behind Alabama. Talk to us about what's going through your head at the beginning of the season and how did you help set yourself up and the team up for success and to ultimately win the national championship? Well, we have a saying at LSU, you know, if you chase two rabbits, you'll catch none. So we, we took it one game at a time, you know, so we didn't worry about Alabama until we got to Alabama. You know, we, I think we started off at like Utah State or somebody like that. We went one game at a time. In our room, in a receiver's room, we said, hey, we want to win a national championship. We got 15 stop signs that we got to go, that we got to get past. So we're going to go one at a time. And that's what we did. We got to, you know, Ole Miss. Okay, that was a stop sign. We got to Georgia. That was a stop sign. Got to Oklahoma. That was a stop sign. Then we got to Clemson. That was a stop sign. So we just put it that they focus on one game at a time. And you do whatever you got to do to win that game. And it happened. And our kids believe what coach was preaching. And, and like you said, you chase two rabbits, you'll catch none. So we chased one rabbit at a time. And every time we chased that one rabbit, we caught it. And we moved on to the next one. And I think that's important too, beyond the game to remember, to recognize the team and individuals, but also the team when they're performing little things too, not just the big wins, because those are important in life. Cause sometimes people get so discouraged when the goal seems so far away, you have to celebrate those mini victories. And the other thing that I liked you talking about was, you know, focusing on one game at a time. And I'll draw this, uh, tie this to a concept that I talk about in my book called get the next first down. And as you know, in football, it's not all about getting into the end zone, every single mm -hmm. play, it's about getting that next first down, moving that ball when having yes. that incremental ball movement. And so in life, sometimes when I work with people, they get so discouraged because they have this big goal and it's so far away. And so they feel like they just can't reach it. So they don't do anything. Whereas if you focus on that next play, that next game, as you guys did in the season, it's all about that shorter term victory, right? Getting that next first down, claiming that win, and then moving on and, and making progress towards the bigger goal. Yes, you're right about that. You know, when we say one stop side at a time, get the next first down. And even on the offense side of the ball, you know, we take one down at a time. Okay, yes. what's our play on first down? What's our best play on second down? What's our best play on third down? Okay, sometimes we have to punt, but if we move on, okay, what's our next best play? So, like you say, I think if you focus and you take one step at a time in life, I think it works better. But when you, you know, people say, oh, you got to multitask. Okay, that's that's true. You do have to do that sometimes. But when you can focus on one thing at a time, it's a big, a high percentage that you're going to be successful. But when you try to do three, four things at a time, then you're not getting better with anything, you know? So you got to take one thing at a time to get better with it. Absolutely. So let's talk about uh, the college football championship against Clemson. So you LSU ended up winning 42-25. Uh, going into that game, talk to us about what are your guys thinking? How are they staying mentally locked in? Well, you know, going into that game, we remember us breaking down um, Clemson and Ohio State. And I remember some of our coaches saying, you know, the analysts who breaks them down for us before we get started on it saying, hey, I think um, I think Ohio State would be a better opponent than Clemson. You know, they gave us why. You know, they did a lot of things on defense. They did a lot of things on offense. And Ohio State kind of just played with talent. They just kind of stayed still. So I remember doing that. So it was a tough week to get ready for that game. And, you know, we had to change a lot of things up because they had a real veteran staff that they, 
you know, they kind of, you get in a formation, they knew what you were doing. So we changed a lot of things up. But we, we sold it to the kids that, hey, we're going to do what we do. We're going to do the things that got us here. And that was going to, you know, play good offense and score points, play good defense. And at the time, I think the last five games, our defense was top five in the country. And our special teams played lights out throughout the whole year. So we was going to put three parts together. And we was going to, you know, play hard. We was going to be physical with them because, you know, just thinking like, hey, ACC is not known for a physical conference. So we're going to be physical with them. We're going to knock them around a little bit and see if they can handle it. Absolutely. Yeah. And so one thing also I want to talk to you about is going into the game. Things did not, uh, I'm guessing, go as anticipated, right? First few drives, not scoring drives. Trevor Lawrence and the Clemson Tigers had a rushing touchdown, eight minutes and 26 seconds into the game. So at that moment, things are not starting off on a positive note. There's still plenty of game time left. And as competitive athletes, we know that the game is not over and there's plenty of playing time. But how do you keep your kids mentally locked in and focused? Because we're emotional people, right? And kind of have to turn that off when you're playing the game. Be like, you know what? I got to keep my head in the game. Don't let that get to me. Mm -hmm. Yes, you know, Clemson's up, but that's okay. We're we're in this and we're going to play. How do you keep your guys locked in? Those same kids. A year ago was down at Auburn. They were down 21 to three and they came back. We won the game 24, 21 or 27, 24, something like that. So they've been down before. We've been down before and we fought back. We was down at Auburn. You know, I think, you know, we're down at Florida for, for a time. So they've been down before, but I think as long as the coaches didn't panic, they wasn't going to panic. So the coaches didn't panic. So they didn't panic and they knew we was going to get back. We was backed up in our first two drives. We were backed up deep in our territory and they were sending some pressure. And they, you know, they made us do some things that we couldn't do, but we, I would play calling. But we said it when they came to the third series. I remember Jamar Chase said, hey, when we get the ball and get some breathing room, we need to throw deep. He said, because they're sitting on routes. And then that's when we, you know, we got some breathing room and we marched down and, and we made it happen. Just staying calm, not panicking what's going on. And Coach O does a great job of not, not panicking and saying, hey, let's go. Let's just keep swinging, keep swinging. Because our goal is we're going to make you play 60 minutes. You might win the first 20 minutes, but now it's 40 minutes left and you got to play. And we make you play 60 minutes and our kids believe, you know, if you give us 60 minutes, we're going to beat you. Absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned that because that's also something I talk about in my book is playing the full 60 because you absolutely have to till the game clock hits zero. You can't uh, back down. And we've seen time and time again where teams have come back. You know, you mentioned the Auburn game. I was watching that game. I remember that game. I'm an Alabama alum. And mm-hmm. so I was very much rooting for LSU to, to win that game. And so you do have to play <laughs> that full, got to play that full 60. So you mentioned Coach O. Yeah. Talk to us about uh, what else about Coach O makes him great. He's a genuine guy. You know, he, he truly cares about his, his players. He truly cares about his staff. And he tries to help you in every way that he can. I always think that he's the right guy for the job. And, you know, we had a down year last year at 5-5, five and five, played with some young kids. But we lost 18 kids to the draft. But we didn't tell our kids that. We know we were playing with young kids. And he was able to, you know, sit down with each kid that was able to go out and get him to come back to school. So he's a great recruiter. But the, the, what he had to do is recruit his team back. And he did that. He didn't, he didn't ask us to do it. He did it. So I was going to talk to you about, you know, when you guys won the national championship, you know, LSU had a record-setting offense led by Joe Burrow, who won the Heisman Trophy. You had some other great uh, players on the team. A number of them went drafted. You, know, you had also two 1,500-yard receivers, Jamar Chase. Uh, Justin Jefferson, um, a whole bunch of different guys on the team that really made some great plays that season. And when you look at Joe Burrow, who did win the Heisman by the largest margin in history of the award, for those that aren't familiar with that, and you look at Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Terrace Marshall, 
What is it about those guys that makes them special to you? They're good kids. You know, they're, they're good kids. They, they, they're good kids. They, they do everything from their heart. They're really good friends off the field. And they came to work every day. And, and they were so receptive, but we were talking to them and asking them to do as coaches. You know, they had their own ideas because that's what good athletes and good players do and smart players. They have their own ideas. But at the end of the day, they respected what coach wanted. They respected what the position coach wanted. And they worked together. Joe's, Joe was probably one of the greatest leaders that I've ever been around. You know, and, and he, he came here as a transfer, but he came in here not beating his chest. He came in here to fit in with his teammates and he, and he led him. He led him to a national championship. As you look at this next season, I guess, what are, what are your thoughts on the things that you're going to do to continue to take LSU's program to the next level? Well, first, you know, like you said, we're going to, you know, get these young kids. We got them in um, football school and offseason conditioning right now. We're going to get them in spring ball in about two weeks. And we're going to continue to get better every day that we're in the building. You know, we're going to continue to get better off the field. We're going to continue to get better with our um, academic. Let's get better every day. Let's win the day. And that's one thing we're doing as a, as a team. We're trying to win the day. We know we're talented. We know that. But we got to work. Yeah. And so if there was one piece of advice that you would tell your players now, what would that piece of advice be? Stay humble. Stay humble and believe in yourself. Because at the end of the day, that's what it's going to take. It's going to take, you know, as a team sport, but it comes down to individuals winning their individual battles. But to do that, you got to believe in yourself and you got to stay humble. You got to, you know, and that's one thing we tell them. That's a great piece of advice. So now, Mickey, what I want to do is I want to transition to what I call my two minute drill and ask you some fun questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. What did you want to be when you were 10 years old? A garbage man. Oh, interesting. Uh, How about who would play you in a movie about your life? Denzel Washington. It's a great choice. (laughs) <laughs> how, about, how about what is your favorite vacation spot? Oh, Destin, Florida. My daughters, they love it. That's a great area. How about what is your favorite ice cream flavor? Vanilla. Okay. How about what is a pet peeve of yours? Oh, that might that my one-year-old don't open up my beer fridge and, and get my beer hot. Oh, <laughs> gotcha. How about what book are you currently reading or what podcast are you currently listening to? Well, right now, uh, my brother sent me a book of with Obama. And then the last question is, you're hosting a dinner party and can invite three famous people. Who would you choose? It can be living or deceased, but three famous people. Denzel Washington, um, Holly Berry, Tom Osborne, my college coach. Well, those are all three great choices. And yeah, Denzel's had some wonderful roles over the years, including Remember the Titans, which is my football favorite football movie of all time. Well, thank you for sharing that. And as we look to close the show, any last thoughts for our listeners? Well, my thing is, you know, let's let's continue to pray, you know, with this COVID and, and that way everybody gets the vaccine and and that as a country that we all just work together, you know, because at the end of the day, we got We got to live with each other. Some great uh, final thoughts. And Mickey, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been a true pleasure. Thank you. From how we mean, stay in touch. And thanks again to everyone for listening. And we will catch you next time. Until then, make sure that you suit up, you show up and you move the ball. Thank you for listening to Move the Ball. To see more about what I'm up to and how I can help you to move the ball, check out my website at www.getinsidethehuddle.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And also join the Move the Ball Facebook group for even more content and to be a part of the Move the Ball movement.